Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to be welcoming Kate Lemire. Some of you might know Kate through her various roles at Barry Chicago, including Chief Instructor, Founding Chicago Trainer, and Marketing Director for the brand. Kate is truly such a breath of fresh air as she helps people understand the basics of fitness and nutrition through her evidence-based online platform, The 4%. She uses her years of strength training and knowledge gained through various certificates, including Postpartum Corrective Exercise Specialist, ACE Certified Behavioral Specialist, and NCSS personal training certificate to help you figure out the best way to reach your health and fitness goals. Make sure you check out Kate on Instagram at Kate Lemire or check out the 4% and you can find a link to that in this episode's show notes. Kate, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. For those who might not be in Chicago, would you mind introducing yourself? Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Caitlin Mir. I am a chief instructor and founding Chicago instructor at Barry's. I'm also their um, global marketing director, and I can be found on Instagram at Caitlin Mir with evidence-based fitness content, lifestyle content, roasting my husband, and on my online platform, um, the 4% all spelled out um, with more evidence-based fitness, nutrition, perinatal fitness and wellness, um, and much more. So I first met you at Barry's. I'm a original member in Chicago. And I remember you were kind of living two lives. You had your fitness world, and then you also had a nine to five job. Can you talk about what that was like? And how did you find fitness? Yeah, well, I still have it. Um, so I still have these two hats that straddle the line of, um, you know, a fitness entrepreneur, as well as a corporate, I'll use their quotes around nine to five, um, since no job anymore, it's just nine to five. Um, but I was an athlete my whole life. I swam year round for the majority of my formative years. Um, I did not participate in competitive sports in college. And when I joined a sorority, you know, you're like eating, you're drinking, you're partying, you're having so much fun. I realized for the first time without a coach and organized practice, I didn't know how to work out on my own. So I went to um, the Corec at my university and started taking group fitness classes. And um, I came really close with all of my trainers and they were like, you should think about doing this. And it wasn't for me at the time, but as I started getting into my professional life, my background is in advertising, entry-level advertising. I was making no money. So I was like, well, I could use another job. What can I do that won't interfere with my nine to five? And group exercise class seemed to be um, a really good fit. So I started teaching spin at David Barton here in Chicago in 2009. The rest is history. So um, I came across Barry's, well, rather they came across me um, and we developed this hybrid role of marketer as well as trainer. And I started off just doing marketing for Chicago. And now I'm part of the global marketing team um, and our domestic strategy as well. So it's really cool. Um, It's so fun, but it does take a lot of 
time management, prioritization, boundaries, being okay with not getting everything done in one day. Um, and it's taken me, I've been with the company for six years and it's taken me that long to really come to terms with that. I think I finally like nailed my mindset. Well, I'm a big fitness person. I worked for Lululemon for a long time and working out's always kind of been part of my life, especially when I found fitness. Um, I think the problem with it is a lot of females find it to lose weight. But what you realize is like, yeah, that's, you know, part, I know that's a side effect of it. I'm not going to say a benefit because that's saying that that's a positive thing, whether it is or not, but yeah, it's also becomes a mental thing and it shows you your strength. And there's always that aspect of your mind gives out before your body is, and it builds that like mental toughness, but there's also a dark side of fitness where it becomes unhealthier. You see on social media now, I worry about younger girls growing up or just, you know, the next generation, let's not even put a gender to it, looking at fitness, thinking like, oh, wow, if I just did that, I'm going to look like this. There's a real reality versus social media. And what I love about you and your content is you really kind of show and explain what it what you need to do to get there. But can we talk about how you started the 4% and why did you feel the need to start putting this content out there? I think for all the reasons you just said, there is so much misinformation. Um, you know, we can get so in our own heads about what we have to do, what we should do, what others are doing, what's the quickest way to get from point A to B. It can be very stressful. It can lead to poor decision-making, starting and stopping, binging, purging, all type of cyclical behavior um, that I wanted to put pen to paper of not only my experience, but also all of the things that I I had been learning. And the older I get and the more complicated my life becomes, the more I realize the key to success is flexibility, but you don't become flexible until you have the knowledge you need in order to you know, be that way to have this fluid schedule where you can pick and choose what you do when and manage some of the anxiety that might come with, okay, I'm um, traveling for a week and I won't be out on my regular schedule, or um, I have a really fun girls trip coming up, but I'm trying to reach a goal. Um, you know, if you're able to pivot, adjust and start and stop where it's not, if I can't work out for the whole week, I'm not going to start. Um, you will be primed to have this behavior be long-term and you are able to train or eat or do whatever your method methodology is, excuse me, for life, as opposed to just 30 days or for eight weeks or 12 weeks. Um, so I really wanted to have a spot, a destination that was a one-stop shop for information that people needed for a life better lived in the gym and in the kitchen and beyond. Um, we, we really get kind of bogged down in what we eat and how, how we train. And if you think about it, it's such a small sliver of the pie that is our bandwidth, right? You are at the gym for an hour, maybe two 
um, on, a, on any given day. And then you have a couple of meals here and there, but we have so much life to live outside of that time that to put so much emphasis and so much pressure on these smaller moments of our day and these decisions of what to train, how to train, when to eat, how to eat, um, you miss out on the rest of your life. And that starts to have an impact on our emotional health, our, um, you know, mental well-being and, um, how we relate to others and show up in the world. Um, so I thought it was really important to put a stake in the ground and, um, share information that is irrefutable so that you can make decisions for yourself. Um, and personal preference really gets lost nowadays because, Instagram, TikTok, social media, the, the content we are inundated with what I do. Here's how I eat. This is what I work out. This is what you got to do. Here's a list. Here are the rules. Um, personal preference gets lost when in fact, personal preference, the ability to do things that you like, eat things that you like, um, makes or breaks your ability to adhere. And without adherence, you don't have anything. So I'm trying to get the pendulum to like swing back to like go back to basics so that we remember restriction, punishment, stress. It doesn't have to be the status symbol. Like if my life is as easy as possible and I, and I am able to put the least amount of effort into something and get the most reward, I consider that a win. That's my MO. Well, I think you hit on something and even it's something I struggle with sometimes is that I'll be working nonstop. I'll like, it's a long day. I'm exhausted. I've eaten. I didn't get to the gym, but I walked to and from work. I tried to walk throughout the day, get my steps in, move as much as I could, but then I'll get into bed. I'll scroll a little. And then I see all these people being like, I went to the gym for this long and I've done this and that. And right before I went to bed, even though I was productive and did what I needed to do well that day, I'm sitting there feeling guilty. Like, I should cut an hour of sleep and try to wake up earlier, or I should do all this stuff to try to get to the gym, but it's just not practical in that day, that moment, or that week. But you start to feel that guilt because you're looking at yeah. social media thinking, I shouldn't have eaten that pasta, or I shouldn't have gone for a girl's weekend. I And it, the list starts going, and then you start to feel bad, and that's when you have to log off and stop scrolling. But it's something that is coming up constantly and you see, you know, influencers and I'm using that like with a quote being like, I do this to get a six pack. Well, some people just have more belly fat genetically than others possibly, or it's not, you could have just had some, had a child. You're not going to, cause you do yeah. those ab workouts, you know, three sets of four, a few times a week, you're not going to get those abs. That's not how it works necessarily. And what social media doesn't show is context. So um, what what that influencer who you know you're scrolling past who says I went to the gym or this is my second workout today you don't know what the rest of their life is like um, and, and they only show what they want you to see. So that's very much by design. Um, and so we're comparing ourselves to so many other people 
when we don't have any idea of what the comparison should be or the metric should be um, that automatically sets us up for a disappointing feeling. And whenever I come across that on my platform, I want people to know immediately my genetics play a huge role in how I look. I, I've been strength training for 12 years. So if you're just starting, I have years and years and years on you and all of that cannot be ignored. Um, additionally, I have privilege. So my kids go to daycare while I have a job. And with that job, I have the flexibility of working out when other people may be behind a desk. So if you were to compare yourself to me, you know, that would be, we would be remiss not to mention those things. Right. Um, so comparison and, um, you know, a TikTok video or a reel, you know, comparison is not a protocol. Someone's 60 second reel on Instagram is not a protocol. It's not evidence. It's not science. It's not even a prescription or a diagnosis. So we really have to um, disconnect. And like I said, personal preference, but also give ourselves that permission to set our own standards, our own path and our own boundaries of this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm not going to do. And I going to the gym today and I'm going to feel really good about that today. My calendar is booked. I'm not going to go to the gym, but like you said, I'm walking to and from the office and that is what I'm going to feel happy about. And I'm not going to give anything else a second thought. It takes a lot of time and a lot of practice to get there where you have to think to yourself, I'm not going to the gym today and I'm feeling okay with it. It's, I'm not just saying, oh yeah, do that. Because like, obviously it's so hard. It's easier said than done. But when you have the information and you know, okay, cardio especially is a very underwhelming tactic for fat loss. Like if that's your goal and you're so upset that you didn't get your miles in, or you didn't spend, you know, that half hour, that hour on the treadmill, all of that is emotional stress where you're coming down on yourself. You're beating yourself up. You're feeling the sense of guilt when in reality, it really wasn't going to move the needle that much anyway. And your time is actually better spent walking to and from the office because those, that non-exercise activity thermogenesis then offsets a chain reaction of making better decisions throughout the day, staying more active throughout the day. Um, maybe your appetite is a little less because you weren't pounding pavement or, you know, going to town on the treadmill. There's so many things to consider. So, I, I tell everyone that I come across, the first thing you need to do when you have a goal is to get your ass into therapy to make sure that you're working towards what you actually want to achieve as opposed to some band-aid or service level cause. And then you have to understand how to get what you want and who to ask for help. Very few of us know how to do things inherently on our own, right? Um, very few people can heal past trauma, especially generational trauma by themselves. Very few people can go in and be like, okay, this is my goal. I'm going to strength train. I'm going to eat. And this is how I'm going to eat. And then I have all this like mental stuff that I've just compartmentalized and I'm totally good. And my sleep hygiene's on point. You know, we really need to curate our panel of experts that can help us get there. And then we got to detach from the timeline because all of this shit takes so long, 30 days, eight weeks, 12 weeks. Like it, no, none of those programs, like they, they're created to sell you something. And the faster you understand that, the faster you recognize it and can kind of detach from the purchase and then the security that that purchase brings like, okay, I have my plan. I don't need to worry anymore. Like that plan was created 
to take your money. If there's a list of rules, if there's a diet or a workout with someone's name in front of it, it was created to take your money. Um, because you can get that information and you can apply the information that was used to create that program to your life based off of your schedule and your personal preference. So my MO is take your power back, spend the time laying the foundation, which is the name of my eight week. Yeah. Eight week, 10 week. I mean, it's now a self-paced course, um, a self-paced course, um, masterclass that gives the bare bones one-on-one basic on fundamentals of nutrition, training mechanics, how to structure your protocol for your goals, and then gives a ton of examples of how to apply it to your life, including time management of how to organize your schedule, because that's what the TikToker isn't saying. The TikToker isn't saying I had to do X, Y, and Z. So I gave up A, B, and C. They're not going to say that, that they want you to think they have the perfect life. So there's no way they're going to be like, oh yeah, I was like crying into a glass of Sauvignon Blanc, not saying that they do, but if they did like at the end of the day, I like feel so alone or I feel depleted, or I feel like I can't do anything because I have to maintain this image or there's this pressure to look a certain way. Like that's not a life better lived. So less comparison, less scrolling, more education, more application, and more just like minding your own business because that is what will serve you. And I think that people start this fitness journey because there's something in them that they're trying to heal. But like you mentioned, like therapy plus fitness is going to get you to your goals. And I, uh, I hope now, and it seems like people are talking more about mental health, but it really is such a big part of that pie to get you to success is understanding those triggers or generational trauma or reading those books that you see. And you're like, "Mm, I don't know if I really want to like jump on that bandwagon, but by reading it, it's going to unlock something totally different than the, your peer who read the book that hopefully helps you heal something. A great example is, you know, I was a half Ironman in training and doing all this cardio and they wanted me to, to start like counting my macros. And I didn't realize like how triggering that was for me to like, to count that. And once I start to realize like, it's actually having adverse effect, it's not helping me. I'm getting anxiety and I'm becoming neurotic about counting macros. That isn't healthy for me. There has to be another way to maintain figuring out, making sure I'm eating enough with the training schedule that I was doing at the time. But until you start to work through that stuff, you don't realize how food or fitness or the way you feel or look really play into your overall like health, like with therapy. And I, in, um, in my masterclass in the first or second module, we go through an exercise like that of, you know, what is your goal? Why do you want it? Uh, And this is a a practice that a lot of um, people, corporations, organizations, a lot that's put in place a lot. is like the five whys. You just keep asking yourself why, why, why? And when I go through this with clients who, you know, I see, and they may say like, well, I really want to lose weight. My first reaction is, well, why do you want that? And by the time we get down to the very like nitty gritty, like the very root of the cause, I mean, they're crying, I'm crying. It's this huge epiphany of, you know, you don't want to lose five pounds. You want to feel accepted or you want to give yourself the love that you're looking for in others. And you're not going to find that in the gym. And the number one reason we 
I'll use air quotes here, fail or don't reach our goals is because we get this negative feedback of, okay, it's too hard. Um, I feel like I can't do all the things that I want to do. It's impossible to find this compliant ingredient or cooking spray or, you know, Whole30 has all these rules. And it's like, oh my God, if, if you're not made of money and can spend two hours in Whole Foods, like how do you do this? How are you set up for success? And if you're doing all of this work and then there isn't the feedback that you're looking for, the biofeedback that you're looking for, that is exhausting. And we don't say what is wrong with the protocol? What is wrong with the PDF? What's wrong with the diet? We say, what's wrong with me? We put that on ourselves. And then that mental narrative or dialogue compounded over months and months and years and years and decades, like some of us have been living, um, it, it's really, really toxic. So I have a daughter, she just turned one. I, I have a son too. And this is not a gender thing, as you said. Um, and, you know, part of my narrative and the work that I do with myself is um, understanding that, you know, men and women both have standards and societal pressures and aesthetic things that they feel they will have to live up to. Uh, my daughter will probably feel like she's got to be small. My son will probably feel like he's got to be huge, right? Like super jacked, muscular, like in the gym looking, you know, a certain way. And, you know, they'll have their own pressures and their different pressures. So I, I am really focused on, taking a step back, understanding where these standards come from um, so that I can break these cycles within myself so I don't pass it down to them. And already my son's four, my daughter's one, you know, we talk about food in a very matter of fact way. And there's a place for everything in diets. Um, right now, none of them have an intolerance. So there's no food that's off the table. And, um, you know, we try to expose them to as many things as we can. And the other day, my son was like, well, I can't eat that because that's junk food. And he heard it at school. And I was just like, okay, how do I respond to this? And I, I really had to like, take a way step back and be like, you know, there's uh, different categories of food that are given nicknames by, you know, other people, people who aren't us, but you know, junk food isn't what we need to call it like a snack or, um, you know, just fun food. That's what we call it. And I really want from the beginning them to understand how appetite works, how hunger works, the different types of hunger and how it feels or shows up in their body and just what food can do and what it does and nutritional benefit and density. Like this is all like really important things that you, you know, when you're older, but it would be so helpful if you knew it from the beginning, you know, like the shoulda, woulda, coulda, if I knew that what I know now. Um, so I, I'm really hoping to kind of break that because I'm going to be 37. You know, I grew up with commercials of eating a bowl of special K twice a day. And like, that was supposed to be like that plus like lunch, which was like another special K product. Like that was supposed to be like your food. And then like, my mom was like putting like butter spray on everything because she was like postpartum in like the eighties and the nineties. And I'm sure she had her own, um, <laughs> shit that she was trying to work through, but all of that stuff compiles it all gets passed down. And, um, you know, Dr. Maya Angel will say when you know better, you got to do better. And that applies to all areas of life. And so I'm really trying to, to do that when, you know, now that I know better, I got to do better for myself and those around me, because I have a platform, I'm considered an influencer, a fitness influencer online. And I want to be able to share my experiences in my life without perpetuating this toxic 
culture, this toxic way of life. Well, it's interesting you say that about your kids because the Gina Davis Davis Institute on Gender and Media did a initial study on the top thousand G-rated films to look at how many speaking parks for females were in it and what roles females played. And they took like two years. And what they found is that female characters in children's movies were dressed more like scandally, um, had really small waists, were looked at like certain ways and then certain um, conversations were had around food with the female characters versus male characters and standards of beauty and looking. And that's from, these are like children's films that they were able to show. And just interesting when you're talking about your kids and I'm thinking about growing up, like I'm thinking of what like Jasmine wore as a princess, like her stomach was thin, <laughs> like these kind of things. Yeah. It's crazy. But then you have little girls wanting to dress up like this. And then you're looking and being like, well, I don't look like the cartoon character or Barbie when their their proportions are so crazy. And it's you have to start to retrain or we have to do a better job like you're doing, helping younger generations realize you know, what is healthy versus not. And it like so much responsibility is put on the consumer, um, who now more than ever, we have less money, less time, more bandwidth and less resource, less resources. Um, so when you think about, you know, these movies and how important representation is in the media and how we don't get it, And we're never going to get it because that's not the shit that makes money. And that's how it is. And that's really, really unfortunate that now it's on the consumer to make sure that we are supporting brands. We're exposed. We're aligning ourselves with the values that we want to see in the world and that we're passing that on to our kids. And it's really hard. It's really challenging. And we, I live in the city of Chicago, so we do have, um, to a certain degree, exposure to different types of lifestyles, people, places, and things. Um, but the further, the further you get away from, you know, kind of like a hub or a city, the less and less you have, and then it, and then it becomes on you. And it's so important. And, you know, the, the quintessential excuses, I don't have time, or I don't know where the day went, or I don't know where the year went, um, or I don't know where to go for this. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. So we have to make sure that we're not only speaking up, we're demanding it, but then once you see it, like, I'm just going to say this, and it even makes me uncomfortable to say it, but I, I feel like you have to, um, address it. Like once you do see it, it can be really uncomfortable. When you're faced with someone who doesn't look like you, or you don't look like them, or there's um, someone with a different life than yours, and you have questions, or you don't know what's right to say, like, that is really uncomfortable. And we as humans, we're hardwired to avoid that, right? So then it's- then it's sitting with yourself. It's sitting with the discomfort. It's being okay with making a mistake because the more privilege you have, you're gonna, and you have to be okay with that. Um, but it's, it's really important to, uh, understand that you've got to seek it out and it's not necessarily going to be super pleasant, but it it is the right thing to do. And we have to do it. Well, so 
I've had a ton of different podcast guests on from all different backgrounds, walks of lives, experiences. And as a white woman, it is so uncomfortable when I'm talking with a guest who I feel embarrassed that I've never thought about something that they deal with every day, that it is sometimes during these conversations, you see me cringe because it just shows me what privilege I've had. And I feel embarrassed that I didn't know what I didn't know. And so why these conversations, even if they're uncomfortable and I ask questions sometimes that maybe I'm not phrasing it the right way, or I'm not like getting to it, how I'm trying to. But if I have that question, I know there's so many more people that have that question. And like you said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, besides I love how you have been such a positive force. I know in my life and in others around fitness and food and how to really think about this and not get caught up in the fads. But I would say like around 2020, like you started using your platform as a place of learning and understanding. And you were reading authors, because I know you're a big reader of color and trying to ask like the community, what book should I read? What else can I learn? Can you, what was that tipping point where you thought I have to do something? Like, what can I do? How can I better educate myself? You hit on it a little bit earlier, but I, I think the way you have been using your platform, especially in the last few months, and I know you took a break, because it's gotten crazy. It was too much. Yeah. I mean, like the world we're living in, but I just, I respect you so much for speaking out because there's so many people who haven't been. Yeah. Every, everyone will um, own their brand and run their platform um, as they see fit. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm that typical white girl who, you know, during 2020 and George Floyd, I was like, wait, what? Like, I felt like I took my head out of the sand, looked around. It was like, oh, wait, this, that's not right. This happens in the world. And it happens in front of me every day. And I didn't see it. I was, um, a a person who would use and, um, unfortunately do microaggressions, didn't know what I was doing, had no idea because of that privilege. And again, very few people, um, can, can help themselves. And so when all this was happening, I was like, I am, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. It's completely inappropriate to ask someone for help because I should be knowing this. And, um, as the author, James Baldwin says, how much time do you need for your progress? And 30, I I don't know how old I was at the time, 30, you know, 35. And I was like, I just like you embarrassed guilt. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, really, a lot of feelings that gave me so much discomfort. So I worked, um, with a, um, educator and she, um, held containers for, uh, white people, white identifying people to go through her curriculum, uh, to unpack privilege and start understanding the culture of whiteness. Um, her handle is according to Wees, and she is amazing. Um, she's got podcasts, all, all different types of, um, content and communities. And that's where I learned because it, she provided a space. We paid for her labor. Um, and, we had a space to ask the questions that it's you know inappropriate to ask or that you don't ask because you're scared. And uh, that's the bare minimum. And that is 
what we have to do to make our kids better uh, people and a more functioning and contributing member of society. And when you think about fitness, all of these standards are very much rooted in whiteness and that inherently is anti-black. And I had no idea that I had no idea about that. And then I had no idea that I was unknowingly contributing to it. Um, so it really changed my perspective on an already evolving perspective of just, you know, how much work there is to do within myself and my platform. Um, and I, that's what I have dedicated now my content to as well, um, as a space of learning, um, communication, because fitness is, a matter of health. It's a matter of public health. And there is absolutely no point in obsessing over your abs or your glutes or your deadlift. If you don't have autonomy over your own body, there's no point. What is the point of counting every calorie that goes into your mouth when you don't have autonomy over your body. So it is political. It is a matter of public health. And especially now the stakes are too high. We have to talk about it. And the people who aren't talking about it, I get it, but I'm also running out of patience for it because the stakes are too high and it's really scary. The time we're living in right now is really scary. You know, it's interesting. Another podcast guest, Aaron Gallagher, um, who puts phenomenal content out there on LinkedIn. She talked about in a post how talking about body autonomy and those and like abortion and what, and women's rights around their health. Someone's like, oh, that's not workplace appropriate. And she goes, no, that is because of the fact that if I can't talk about that or my employer doesn't support me, then that's not going to allow me to grow my career. That's not going to allow me to provide for my family. That's not like a benefit that, to the overall package. And what people I think need to realize is talking about women's health, women's rights, just human rights around having control over your own body and being able to you know, choose who you want to love or choose what you do with your body that at the end of the day does affect how you show up in your job in fitness. Like all these things are yes. interconnected. And when people try to say they're not, and maybe I'm not articulating this in the right way, but when people try to say one doesn't have to do with the other, it's like, no, like we don't live in like a black and white world. We are in a full gray world and it's starting to look even red because of like handmaid's tale concepts coming through. And it's very overwhelming and scary. And I give you a lot of props for, you know, sadly on July 4th, where there was a shooting in Highland Park, I was at your class earlier that day because you were saying, Hey, I am personally going to donate to what the Chicago abortion. Chicago fund. abortion yeah. And then whoever, and then people were matching. We raised all this money because it's like on this day, you're supposed to be celebrating freedom well, you don't have freedom over your body. And I just wanted yeah. to applaud you for being like, I'm going to do something. What can I do? How can I raise awareness? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it, it's pretty, it's pretty wild, um, that we live in a society that is so obsessed with productivity and burning the candles at both ends and getting the most out of every worker, employee, person of what can they give? How much can we take? And yet 
our ability to show up in the world gets harder and harder and harder. And we are less able to uh, operate as our truest high functioning selves because we are trying to operate in unprecedented, unprecedented times where safety, autonomy, um, our health in a pandemic, you know, everything is at risk. Um, and it, it's really, really hard to show up. Um, and I want to acknowledge that because you know, I put on a microphone many times a week. I have, I have a smile on my face and I don't want to be like, oh yeah, this doesn't affect me. It affects you that how, why that's weird. Um, because what's, what happens after class, my clients will come up to me and feel like, I just, I feel like I just couldn't like get there today. Like I couldn't run as fast as I usually do. I couldn't lift, or I feel like I'm stalling. I feel like I can't progress. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Like we're not sleeping we're stressed, we're tired, we're worried when you don't sleep and you're emotional, you eat food you might not eat otherwise, you make choices you might not make otherwise, and that impacts here. Like you think you're going to have your best day every day when this is what we're living with. And like, once you say that, everyone's kind of like, oh, oh yeah. And then it's easy. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, like you're easy to like give yourself grace and compassion because we are just so used to coming down on ourselves. And like, for me, it's just like perspective and I'm not like one for TikTok trends, but the one that I just love and it has me in stitches is like the TikTokers that like say like, oh, this is my problem. And then like the film like zooms way out. And then all of a sudden it's zooming so far out that it's just like the earth. That's like a tiny speck in outer space to be like, that's your little tiny problem in the grand scheme of this world. That means nothing. So it's like, oh, you like had a weekend where you ate and drank everything on site and dance on the table until 2am. And then it like zooms out. You're feeling guilty. And then like all of a sudden, like the earth is just like a little speck in the galaxy. It's like these problems that we put so much of ourselves. It's really a privilege to have these problems. Let's call it what it is. It's a distraction and it is made to distract us. If we're thinking, okay, like I got to work out. I got to eat this. I can't do this. I can't do that. What are we not doing? We're not reading the news. We're not getting educated on these like political on mid elections on elections. We're getting bored. We're like, we're not thinking about like, I could learn a language. I could read a book. I could travel. I could go spend my money in a country that's not here. Like, yeah, we're not doing something if we're so focused on like weighing our food. Um, that's not to say if you have a goal that involves body recomposition or weight loss or fat loss, that that's not valid or that's not relevant. And I always say, if you truly want something for yourself, I want that for you too. And I can help you get there if it's truly what you want for yourself. And I'll help you. I can tell you what to do, how to do it. You're the one that has to execute it. So this is a two-way street here. This is a conversation where if this is going to work, then you got to say yes. Or if it's not going to work, you got to tell me all the reasons why, so that we can find what will work. Um, but you have to know what you're doing. You have to know why you're doing it so that when life gets in the way, which it always does, you're able to pivot and be flexible and adjust and adapt and then move on. And also give yourself some grace. Like there's times where I'm very focused on working out and getting the gym and watching one meeting and I feel great, but then something can happen that's out of your control. And instead of like beating yourself up, of being like, oh, I didn't stick to my meal plan or I didn't do 
whatever I was supposed to do, it's okay. Like it's one day of the grand scheme of things. It's you'll get back on track the next day. It, yeah. You're, you're human. You're allowed to take a step back yeah. and kind of re-pivot. You started the 4% in 2013 as a blog, and now you have various programs. There's an app and you have social media. How did that progress for you? Um, yeah, the blog was just a creative outlet and I have had the blog for, oh my God, like I think nine years. Um, and I just started to monetize it during the pandemic. So I took the blog, um, and put certain content behind a paywall, um, and then created this masterclass, which I, um, did live over zoom. Um, and then in app, once my app launched, um, during the, during the pandemic, because I was furloughed from berries. I was doing at our at-home training, but from my corporate job, I'm like an internal brand strategist. Like, of course I was furloughed. Um, I was furloughed for about like four or five months, I think, but I was like, Oh my God, like, we don't know what's going to happen. And like, I might not get bit asked to work. And like, that's something that I need to be prepared to consider. So I just thought to myself, shit, like, what can I do right now to potentially, just redirect how things are going to unfold for me. And of course, isn't this how it always happens? I'm like taking a shower and then I'm just like, oh my God, I can take all the things that I know and give it to people in a way that we're, we can all be together because we're craving that connection. People, a lot of people learn through being told or taught or talked to. Um, why don't I just do this? Um, so I did, it stuck. I led, um, like six or seven units, live units, and then, um, transitioned to self-paced and pre-recorded, um, when I got asked back to work and it just kind of went from there. And even now I am evaluating how this business comes to life and how this business shows up because, um, you know, I'm so fortunate to say at Barry's I'm busier than I ever have been. And we are um, opening new studios across the world. There is a lot of really, really great innovation and content um, coming out of the Barry's pipeline. Um, and I just, I don't have the type of energy required to give people what they deserve from this platform. And honestly, I don't think people are um, as interested or there is as much of an an appetite to consume that level of content because their lives are all busier. Um, So I'm not giving up. I'm not turning the lights off, but I am thinking like, okay, what am I doing? Um, How am I evolving? And yeah, give me, I'm not like looking at this as like a failure on my part or like, you know, it didn't, it didn't turn out how I thought it was going to turn out. So like, you know, what was me, which definitely would have been my mindset a couple of years ago. Um, but you know, now I'm just like, let's just see what happens and where it goes and, um, you know, kind of how, how I want my life to be. And I, like I said, I'm taking my power back and I'm not relying on Instagram to grow a business. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that what I do is my own house and I keep my own shit together. So, um, it's cool. It's great. I've met so many people from across the world. It's, you know, speaking of privilege, that is a privilege. So I guess like, before we dive into the final three questions, what's one thing you wish everyone knew um, whether it's like, don't be worried about coming to berries. It's okay to modify. What would yeah. be those pieces of advice, I guess, for someone who wants to 
start working out. I think some people are a little intimidated to come into the red room, but it's really such a great community. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, there is no one way to do anything. There's no one right way. And the best way is the way that's going to work for you. So when you think about, you know, working out at Barry's or elsewhere, if you want to walk, you walk. If you want to lift and take breaks, you take breaks. You need to make sure that you're executing whatever you're doing in a way that will allow you to work out hard in the moment, recover when you're not training and want to go back and hit it again. So when I'm at Barry's, I walk on the treadmill. I don't run. I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel pressured. And I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I had pelvic organ prolapse after my first pregnancy, um, and healed from that. And, you know, after the second, um, a lot slower coming back to my training, um, than I was originally, um, I probably could run. There is a part of me where it's like, Ooh, I'm kind of nervous about that. But also I'm like, why though? I don't even enjoy running. I don't like running. Running is not for me. So why do I feel compelled to do it? And I get it. The energy, the sprint, the beat drop, it's like such a wonderful thing, but also, so it's just like walking on the treadmill and like getting some steps in and like a little gluteal engagement. You know, you come on down to the floor, you're told exactly what to do. You can do it in a way that works for you, whether that's taking breaks or not. Um, and it's just kind of nice, you know, even though you have intimidation, it's so nice to just go somewhere and be told what to do. Like I, I, I was like joking with some of the guys in my class today who were like kind of slow in the transitions. And I was like, listen, all you have to do is listen to what I'm saying and then do it. And I was like joking with them, but like, it's true. Like I've already thought of this and like, all you have to do is come in on unplug, relax and do what I'm saying in a way that works for you. And it's no stress. So we put stress on ourselves because we think we have to be a certain way or we should do something or we should be the best or the fastest or the strongest. And that's not what it's about. And really we're so worried about everyone else, but like no one, no one is looking at anyone else besides themselves. Everyone is so self-involved in their own world, bogged down in their problems that they're either thinking about themselves or looking for the trainer, right? So if you have any anxiety about coming to berries, doing something new, you know, action is the antidote because the fear of the unknown is what's holding you back. And then once you go and see for yourself, then it's cool, right? You you're like, Oh, that really wasn't that bad. I could do this. I could do that. I saw this. I saw that again, representation is important. Um, and once you kind of, you know, think about it, you feel a lot more confident to take up the space that you're in. Absolutely. Thank you so much for speaking with me. I adore you. I'm so excited to come to class and any listeners who are like nervous about going, if you're in the Chicagoland area, I will come take a class with you, meet you in real life. You'll have a buddy. I'll walk with you or whatever you want to do. I'll be your partner. So you don't need to worry about going and not knowing anyone. I know it can be definitely intimidating. I've felt that before. So you know, either bring a friend or I'm happy to be your friend for the hour that we work out. Um, I end every episode with the same three questions. The first question is if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? So my favorite quote is by author Chuck Palahniuk, um, his book, Invisible Monsters. Nothing of me is original. I am the combined effort of everyone I've ever known. And I just find that to be so incredibly 
touching and powerful because you are a product of your life and your experience. And when you think about it that way, you know, things, the world, um, what's going on in your life or around you, like things can be so much bigger than you. And when you think about like, you know, yourself and who you are and how you show up, it really is this incredible mosaic of so many different experiences and points of view. Um, it, it's really incredible. And it makes me feel so much gratitude for my colleagues, my family, my friends, because every person that I, spend a lot of time with, or that I learn from, or that I'm in contact with, whether that be through work or another professional experience, like it makes me better. And I am at a place in my life where I am so happy. And for the first time and giving myself love, approval, validation, and unconditional love, um, that I take that quote so seriously because I wouldn't be where I am today without my clients, without my colleagues, without my therapist. So when you have gratitude and you lead with that, I think you're like automatically like kind of happy and happier. Um, so I just, I love that quote. I love that book again. Like that book is, is not for the faint of heart. So if you go and read that book and you're like, what the hell, <laughs> but like, that is a very powerful, a very powerful quote that no, I have just loved for like 10 years. I love that quote. I haven't heard that book. So I'm going to give it a read and I'll let you know, but yeah. I'm prepared. <laughs> I'm prepared now. The second question is if you could relive any one day, what day would you choose? Just a couple of weeks ago, actually, my entire family came together. There's like 19 of us um, for the first time, all of us, um, after, since the pandemic. And even before that, we stayed um, at this little beach resort um, on Lake Michigan in Beachwalking, Indiana. My parents rented um, this ginormous house and a coach house. All 19 of us piled in, um, came from across the country to spend this week together. And it was awesome. I was in the middle of my um, Instagram hiatus. So I was just like, so present. I wasn't by my phone at all. It felt so good. I was with family who I hadn't seen in so long. I met my niece for the first time. My sister met my daughter for the first time. All the kids were meeting together for the first time. And one day on that vacation, we were together for a week. We were at the beach all day eating, drinking, playing football, bags, swimming, sandcastles, like the works. It was just it was so amazing and it was simple and again, rooted in family, love, friendships, and just like feeling blessed and lucky to have our lives and everything that we had. And it was just a moment that I wish I could relive so many more times because it was just so it was so happy. It was so carefree. And yeah, again, like speaking of people who make you who you are, it was oh, really awesome sounds so beautiful and so like fulfilling and warm like when you were describing it, I got like a warm feeling um, yeah I mean I was like about to cry <laughs> yeah yeah I'm like that's like I can see it when you're describing it um yeah the last question is if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room which song would you choose Oh, okay. This like when you said this, I was like, oh yeah, I don't really need to think about this. But then I really did need to think about it. Um, and I I think um 
Ooh La La by Goldfrapp. Um, I love that song. I love Goldfrapp um, as an artist. And that entire album is so good. It makes you just want to dance. It makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel energized. Um, and so I think that would have to be it. It's just really fun. And yeah, it makes you feel kind of like a bad bitch. All right. So I'm going to add that song to the For Your Listening Pleasure Spotify playlist so listeners can hear your theme song along with everyone else's. And then for listeners, I'm going to put all of Kate's information, both the website to 4% as well as her Instagram, like give her the follow. She gives such great content and she does these Q and A's on Sundays. And so she'll answer your questions if you have them. Such a great resource. Definitely either take her class if you're in Chicago or if she's in another city, try to get in if she teaches somewhere else, but definitely give her a follow. It's a hundred percent worth it. So thank you so much. And like Mel said, if you want to come into the red room, but you're unsure, you have any hesitations, please send me a DM, be my guest, come take my class. You may not know anyone else, but you will know me and I, I I'm the main event. So you'll, you'll have a friend in me. There you go. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.